I love Missions Month. You know, um, we had a guest uh, a few weeks back, and he said, you know, I've never seen a church do that. I've never seen them, like, talk about missions for a whole month. And I'm like, it's really cool, you know, uh, how that works and how how much work we put into that. it's been, it's been neat to see that. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, today we're going to kind of put a, put a bow on some of that as far as just our, our missions emphasis for the, for the month. So if you got a Bible, uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Okay, we're going to be there in a minute. Today we're going to talk about making room. And we started that in the fall about making room. What does it mean to, to make room? We, we kind of did that incident. Many of you are traveling. A lot of folks are, are on their way back to Franklin uh, today. And so if you're listening on this, uh, man, you're certainly a part of our family too. And, and so we're, we're hoping this it impacts you wherever you are today. But in terms of making room, we, we talked a lot in the fall about opening up your heart to God for what he might do in you and through you in the next few months. And today, I'm going to specifically talk to you about what it means to, what I would call, make room for living scent. It's not the, the, the easiest grammatical thing to say, but what does it mean for us to live as a scent people? You know, I, I think if, if uh, and, and I want you to listen close because you'll misunderstand me if you're not careful, but I, I will tell you that I really do believe with all my heart that if most people... I will say most. I'm going to put it this way. You know, 87% of statistics are made up on the spot, right? So um, I'm going to tell you my experience is that a larger portion of Christians than you might realize, let's say it that way, it's a little safer. If they were honest with themselves and if they were honest with you and maybe even honest with God, in some ways, when it comes to their faith, they're bored. They're bored. You may think, is that sacrilegious to be bored? Is it wrong to be bored? I didn't say they were bored with God. I didn't say they were far from God. I didn't say they, love, they didn't love God anymore. I think what happens to us is we come to Jesus, we, we start going to church for a while, Many of you started coming to Christ when you were young. I mean, this is really, for a lot of you, it's all you've ever known. You just, you, you come to church, it becomes kind of this way of life. It, it's, it's a culture, and then really, it's kind of like being Southern. You know, I don't think about being Southern. I just am, you know. I, I, I give myself away the moment I open my mouth. Right? I always think it's funny every time I speak at conferences and stuff that people from Rhode Island tell me I talk funny, you know, but, but it's true, you know, being Southern, like if you, if you're from the South, I, I don't think about being Southern. I just know that pinto beans and cornbread, they, they have to go together. It's, it's the way life works, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Yes. Football is way more important than it should be, you know, in the South, Right? I, I live my life on a, on a lunar, you know, clock and, uh, of animals and, and when to kill them. It's just part of being the South. You know, I'm a hunter, right? In the South, we have, a, we have a massive aversion to the letter G. I don't know why we hate the letter G, but any word that ends with G, we just refuse to use the letter. It's not going, it's going. You know, it's not being, it's being. You know, going, fixing. Right? That's just who, it's just a part of the way we live our lives. And, and it's just, it's it kind of ingrained. It's really a value system, really. 
And, but when I read the book of Acts, here's what I don't find. What I don't find is that Christianity in the book of Acts, it wasn't a culture. It wasn't something they just, you know, tried to set up a value system and have this way of living and this way of life. That's not what was happening in the book of Acts. Something happened to those people. I mean, I've thought many times, yeah, have y'all ever had, I think this is how my mind works. You ever thought about what it might have been like to have been in that room the day that Jesus sent the promised Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what that felt like? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't fathom what it must feel like for, you've been in situations that were overwhelming. For those of you that have given your daughter away in marriage, it's, it, you can't even put your, put your words on what that felt like. For many of you, when, when you saw your, your, your child and you held him in your arms, there's, there's something electric that happens to you in these wild moments of life that's almost overwhelming. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be sitting there and all of a sudden, the Jesus that you used to talk to personally is now ascended and now he's invaded your heart. I can't imagine the electricity. I, it made me think when I was putting this together about my granddad, my grandfather, uh, my daddy's daddy, his name was Josh and uh, Joshua Larry. My middle name's Larry and my daddy's name is Larry. So Larry kind of gets passed down in my family evidently. And, um, but my grandfather, we called him Dat, D-A-T. God bless you grandparents. You don't get to pick your names. Uh, you try Right For all of you that are about to be grandparents, I would, I'm a full-service pastor. I would go ahead and ask you to just get ready for a name you don't ask for, didn't want, and uh, it's probably going to get stuck with you. And you'll learn to love it. Give it time. Right, But I, I think I tried to say granddad and couldn't, and it was just dad. It came out dad, dad, and so we called him dad. And then the whole world called him dad for some reason. And so that was kind of what he was known for. But he told me he worked. When he came out of the war, he got his first job, and he stayed with it. You know, like most people did in the war. You were just happy to get a job, so you got a job, and you stuck with it. And he worked for the TVA and he, he was part of bringing power to the South. And, and so he, he told me about this time I, he, I was going through his wallet. Uh, my grandfather called it pilfering. Uh, and, and I would pilfer and I would get into things. And so what are you pilfering about? And I would go through his wallet. He didn't seem to mind. And, and I would go through there and I would look at his picture. Back, back in those days, so for all of you under 20, the wallets are these things that you carry in your pocket. They had pictures in them and you don't just use your phone to pay for some, something. I just, I'm learning. Um, but he, would, he had this card and, I, and I, I pulled it out and it said certified 100,000 volts. And I said, what is this, Dad? And he said, well, he said, um, we, were, we were trying to... We, 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 we were going through this thing where we were going through a new bucket system and a, you know, a bucket truck that works on power lines. And he said, so the buckets were now insulated and we had to learn to trust the bucket. And so to learn, so you, you would lose, we, we were going to lose our job or we had to reach out and grab hold of a hundred thousand volt power line. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, can you imagine the salesman saying, oh, the bucket works? Really? And he said, I, he said, I remember standing there, I'm in the bucket and, and the power, I'm up there, you know, 50, 60 feet and I, I, I'm going, Am I, you know, how bad do I want to have this job? And he said, as I got close to it, he said, all the hair on my head stood up. He said, um, but I had to touch it or I would lose my job. And, and so I grabbed the power line and he said, I, it didn't hurt, but I started to shake violently. My hair stood up, and it was the most wild thing in the world, and then I let go, it all stopped. 
I can't imagine what it must have felt like to grab on to 100,000 volts of electricity that would vaporize you if that bucket didn't work. I think, I wonder if that's what it felt like when the Holy Spirit came. That this surge of something comes into your life and that's not a culture. That's not a value system. That was something that radically changed them. We are, a, we are a, a different kind of people because of the Holy Spirit. And we're a sent people because of the Holy Spirit. I love what the CEO of Barna Group, David Kinneman, he said it this way. He said, we were meant to be a persuasive community. We are a storied people. We were, we were called to be a, a, a storied people. We we were sent. We're sent into the rough parts of this world. I, I think about battleships and when I think about this. I think, you know, this is the USS Alabama. How many of y'all have ever been on that ship? Raise your hand high. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, USS Alabama. It's pretty neat. That's a battleship, and it's, it's hard docked in the harbor. But I want to tell you something, friends. That is not why that ship was created. That ship was not created to live its best life hard docked. It, it was created to be out in the ocean defending and fighting off the enemy. We are a, it is a sent battleship, just like we are a sent people. From the dawn of time, God has sent people. Think about Adam. He was sent to do what? Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over everything. Noah was sent to clean it all up, right? And start over. Think about Abraham. He was sent to do what? Father a nation. Moses was sent to go deliver a people. The, all the prophets were sent to tell the truth to those people when they lost their way. The people of Israel were sent to establish a kingdom community. Jesus was sent to bring redemption once and for all for everybody that would believe on his name. And since that time, we have been a sent people going into this world this fall, we began talking about making room. And here's the verse we read. It's in Luke 5, verse 36. You want to hear some interesting context of this? It's kind of, kind of interesting. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's starting to get ready. He's about to get ready to send them out. And he talks about something new happening. He says in verse 36 of Luke chapter 5, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled out. And the skins too will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. You know, wine is going to ferment, that much I do know. No matter if you put it in a clay jar, a Tupperware basket, if you put it in a glass bottle, wine is going to ferment. It's going to have all of this electricity happening inside of it that makes it wine. And the container will determine what all happens on the inside. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing something completely new, and you have to be ready for that. And, and so today, we're going to talk about what that means. For the past three weeks, you had a piece of paper, a sheet that Kim Margrave has put on your chairs and, 
It had three phrases that I really loved how she did that. It said, make room to pray, make room to give, make room to go. So today we're going to talk about that. What does it mean for you in 2024 to make room? Well, let's talk about what it means to make room to pray. How do you actually do that? Well, I'm sure I could spend five or six sermons up here doing that, but I want to talk to you just about one. One way that when you think about being a sent person and praying for people, how do you do that? How do I go about, Jason? How do I pray for people that are sent? Well, let's take a clue from Colossians when Paul said it in this verse, right? Colossians 4, 3. He said, praying at the same time for us as well. And here's what he asked us to pray for. Here's what he asked the church at Colossae to pray for. Pray that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul went to jail for preaching that. He's praying for open doors, literally. When you pray for our missions partners, when you pray for people at Oneida, when you pray for Montana, when you pray for our work in Costa Rica, when you pray for room in the inn, when you pray for open doors. That's a biblical prayer that you ask God for. And you pray for yourself. God, give me open doors. You are a sent person. You were sent into this world. You can pray for open doors. What does it mean to, to make room to give? Let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean to make room to give? I love what it says in 3 John. It's, it's toward the very, very, very end of your Bible, but I put it up on the screen there for you. The writer says, talking about, he's actually talking about missionaries right here. And he said, for they are traveling. Uh, 3 John, it's really chapter 1, verse 5. For they are traveling for the Lord. And they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that they can be their partners as they teach the truth. It's biblical to support missionaries. We are called to do that. You know, every time, every time you give to your local church, you are giving to missions. You know why? Because we are a mission. People often don't think of it that way. See, if you want to give to missions, you start with your local church. And that, that may actually look like giving to the general budget. But let me tell you what that happens, what happens in those type of cases. Right now, there's a whole bunch of people teaching our young ones. We do things in the middle of the week. We do things all the time in this town. You're giving to missions when you give to Clearview. But it's, it's, it's even bigger than that, though. You know, when it comes to being a Baptist, I'll be... Transparent with you, there's nothing really special about Baptist theology. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it's just evangelical theology. If we're people of the book, you know, I learned that when I began working on my doctorate at Fuller. I went to Pasadena, California, and um, every, one of the, every one of the cohorts there, you'd have about 10 to 12 pastors, and there'd usually be an Anglican or two, a Nazarene or two. There would be always a few people from Australia. don't know why, but there always were, and uh, what the draw was, but they would always be from Australia. There would be uh, usually quite a few non-denominational pastors, and then there would be just usually one, me, a Baptist pastor. And here's what I discovered, though. It was a, it was a real heartwarming thing. Theologically, there was very little difference in us. You know why? We believed in the Word of God. And when you believe in the Word of God, there's just some minor differences, but they're, they're, not, they're usually nothing massive. No, Baptist theology, it's not like we have some lock on doing 
Christian life way different. No, we don't. You know what makes Baptists really distinct? It's how we do missions. That's what, that's what really makes us different. See, I'm curious. I mean, we got a lot of folks out today. But we're going to go with the crowd we got, right? Because y'all, y'all are the special people. Don't tell anybody. All right? Yeah. How, how, just joking. Come on. Lighten up. If you heard that on the podcast, you decided to change churches. It doesn't take much in this town, you know, so I, I can tell you. Right? But, but how many of y'all did not grow up in a Baptist church? Raise your hand. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me tell you something kind of cool about being a part of Baptist life. What makes us unique is this thing we call the cooperative program. And here's what I love about that, is right now in this little church in Kansas that's got 50 people, right now in this small little church in Arizona, right now in churches in Asia, right now in churches today, in churches in Brazil, right now churches in Mississippi, right now churches in Canada, regardless of their size, what they get to do is they put their money in this big bucket, and it's called the cooperative program, and you're a part of that. And by putting it in that bucket, we send out missionaries, and you know what they don't have to do? What they don't have to do is spend 50% of their daily life raising money to go back to work the next year. If you talk to international missionaries, they'll tell you, man, I, I serve in this other country. I get a home, a vehicle. I actually get to think and work on what I do because of people like you that put it all in the bucket because we're better together. And that's what makes, that's what really what makes it. So when you give, man, that's, that's why it's vital that we do months like this. That's why it's vital that you honor the Lord with your tithe because of what we do with it. That's what it means to make room to give. We are called to support missions. But there's one more place we're called, and that's just we're called to go. Make room to pray, make room to give, and make room to go. And you know what I really hope happens to you this year? I hope you go. Go somewhere. I don't care if it's a local project. I don't, if you've never served Room in the Inn, I hope you go. If you have ever done a, a short-term mission project like we did with Waverly a few years ago, we, our church sent over 100 people over the course of a few months, and we put a family in a home. You think Thanksgiving was different for them this year? I promise you it was. They had a home that they didn't have that a flood took out. You, know, you, get, to, you get to do things. It's a privilege to get to, to, get to do things like that. I hope you go. You'll, you'll see a different side of the world locally. It's one thing I love about going on a mission project, whether it's local, regional, international. You never come back the same way. You get to see that God is way bigger than your small little world in Williamson County. You get to see that Williamson County, as great as it is, is the furthest thing from normal. It's the furthest thing from normal. I tell my boys all the time, it's, it's great to live here, but this is not normal. Like what, you, I mean, they, you guys, they, they mow the medians in this county, the, 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 you know, in the curbs, and they pick up trash off the street. 
You go downtown and there's people playing violins and walking around like ancient characters in these really cool plays. It's, 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 it's a really cool place to live, but it's the furthest thing from normal. And we get used to it. And then we send our kids to other places and we go, wow, wow, it's way different out there. Yeah, it really is. And I pray that you get to go because it'll reconnect you with life on the pavement where a mom is just trying to make it with six kids. It'll reconnect you with people. You go talk to our people that went to Costa Rica. One of the first things, they came back a few months ago, talk to them and they'll tell you, wow, worship, man, it was great. They were just glad to do it. They were, they were glad they had a place to even do it. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we, we get to see life from a different perspective. And, and I want to bring this question in front of you today as we think about what it means to live sent. And the real question that I asked myself when I was putting this together this week was the question, why? Why do we do this? Why, why is it that we do local missions projects, build houses in Waverly, do room in the inn. Why is it that we go to Costa Rica? Why is it that we have a local church that we call a mission? Why is that? Is it just because it's good to be good and it's nice to be nice and kind to be kind? No, it's not. We do it for a way different reason. Because the Bible says, the Bible says that people who die without Christ spend an eternity in hell. And it doesn't matter if our culture believes that anymore. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe that anymore. And I will submit to you, friends, it really doesn't matter what you think on that. It, you don't have to believe in gravity. Try it. You know? Heard a friend of mine one time talk about his son was wanting to jump off the that the, the edge of their house was not too far from the pool. Just glad I'm not around for those kind of things as a dad, <laughs> you know. It's like, Dad, I think I want to jump off the house and see if I can make the pool. He's like, you think I'll make it? He said, oh, you'll make it. We just don't know if you'll make the water. You'll make it, though. See, gravity's, gravity's real whether you want it to be or not. Heaven and hell are real. Whether you want hell to be real or not, it is real. And we are called to, to live as a sent people. Because the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin, the cost, the invoice, the invoice for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We're called to go because people that don't know Jesus are going to stand before a holy God. And their sin it's going to keep them out of heaven. You know, if you stay in a, a career long enough, you, you start to see trends. You've seen this. If you're in healthcare, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an accountant, if you're in some form of finance, no matter if you're a teacher, no matter what you might do, you've seen trends and eras and changes. It's no different for me. I've, I've been in ministry now since about 1990, 1991, and I've 
watched the church, the, the, the global church, the church of the big C, capital C church. I've watched it go through eras and evolutions. I've seen it morph into things. And I will tell you that one of the, the biggest evolutions I've seen the, 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 the church shift to is when I came to Christ, when I got started in ministry, there was still a sense that the church was a group of people that were sent into their world. That the definition of discipleship was that we gather on a Sunday, but we live out there. We go out there. And there was a, a, a real burden in those days, and I'm not going to say it was every church because it certainly wasn't, but there was an understanding that we are sent into this world, and I've watched churches change over time to, to now. I'm not going to say it's true for every church because it's not true for every church. But I would say that evolution is now the definition of discipleship is that we go and attend church. 1.7 times a month. That we've gone from a people that felt like it's our job to own the school system. It's our job to build orphanages. It's our job to coach little league teams. It's our job to impact our communities and be teachers to now we go to church. And I'm telling you, friends, if that is your definition of what it means to be a disciple, you're going to be one of those people eventually that is bored with your faith. That's why people get bored. They get bored because they just keep showing up and they just keep showing up and they just keep singing the songs and they just keep praying the prayers and they just keep going to small groups, and they just keep giving a tithe every day, putting days to days and months to months and years to years until they die. And I'm here to tell you, if you're, if you're kind of lulled into that trajectory, You're going to find yourself very let down with faith. But I'm going to tell you, that isn't God's fault. That's not anything other than just settling. I think the great danger of Christianity at times as a culture is not that we will walk away from our faith. I think that is we will settle for some mediocre version of it. And by settling for a mediocre version of it, we find ourselves disenfranchised. When we were meant to be sent, we were meant to be sent. And if you'll do that this year, if you'll make room in your heart for that, I can promise you, it, it'll be a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you one thing it won't be, it's boring. 
I'm making room in my heart. God has been calling me to some new frontiers in 2024. I'm making room in my heart. Not figured out how I'm going to do all of it yet, but I'm going to tell you I'm going to do it. I'm going to explore some new pathways to use my ministry gifts. And I hope you come with me. I really do. You are where you are. You're sent where you're sent. You live where you live, on the street where you live. You work where you work. You go to school where you go to school. All of that is by design from a holy God, and he's put you into this place where you can be. Fresh wine, new oil to a world that desperately needs a fresh start. And that's you. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them. Man, send it to them. And you'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.